Hello, I'm Anna Elliott and this is Blendle Handpicked. If you give me five minutes of your time, I'll give you three stories that stood out above all the rest this week. My first pick today is an opinion piece in the New York Times from Tim Berners-Lee, aka the man who invented the internet, and he talks about it as a parent would about their offspring. He's proud of the collaborative tools the web has created for humanity, such as Wikipedia and the world of open source software, but his creation has also let him down. The abuse of the internet by disinformation peddlers, scammers, stalkers and other bad actors has left humanity vulnerable in a way Berners-Lee hadn't imagined, and he says we're at a tipping point. He believes that how we respond to these dark corners of the internet will determine whether it ends up being a fundamental force for good or whether we slip into what he calls a digital dystopia. Fortunately for us, though, he's not just heckling from the sidelines. Berners-Lee has a plan, albeit a radical one. Along with activists, academics, companies, governments and citizens from across the world, he's spent the last year finding a way to overcome the stalemates at the heart of reform. The result is what he calls the contract for the web. The contract outlines practical steps governments and individual internet users alike can take to keep our online world safe. There are lots of specific examples that I won't go into here, but it's also been endorsed by the governments of France and Germany, as well as several big tech companies, including Google, Facebook and Microsoft. It's already being used to inform policy decisions, and it has structures in place to keep governments and companies accountable. This could be a game changer, and who better to fix our troubled relationship with the internet than the man who created it? You can check out the full piece in Monday's New York Times. It's only four minutes long, and the link is in the show notes. My second pick today is an FT Weekend interview with former Russian opposition candidate and permanent thorn in Vladimir Putin's side, Alexei Navalny. Journalist Max Seddon took Navalny out to lunch in Moscow, and he got a fascinating look into what it's like to walk around Russia's capital with a target on your back. The most interesting thing about this piece for me was that both men were harassed for the whole duration of the interview by a Kremlin troll, who shouted things at Navalny like, Alexei, where do you buy cocaine? Apparently, these kinds of intimidation tactics go with the territory of being Putin's biggest opponent, and people like this man have been harassing Navalny and his family for the past six months. Their aim is to provoke him into shouting or pushing back, which they'll film on their smartphones. But Navalny refuses to rise to it. He says, it teaches you zen. He is informal and relaxed throughout the interview, and sprinkles his speech with Russian swear words, some of them homophobic. You can tell from Seddon's response that this FD journalist isn't used to that kind of language in his usual interviews. At one time, Navalny even challenged Putin for the presidency, but now Putin has only strengthened his hold on power, and many of Navalny's allies have fled Russia. Despite setbacks, Navalny focused on encouraging voters to kick members of Putin's party out of their seats, which worked, but it earned him money laundering charges from the government, and police raided the homes of his employees and their relatives. This is a brutal game, and it has landed Navalny in jail 13 times. His brother was even sentenced to three and a half years in prison. It's clear from this piece that that has made him angry, especially with other members of the opposition who find him too abrasive. He says, why don't they come and sit in jail with me? They won't go anywhere near it because they're cowards. There is so much more in here about Navalny's upbringing and his political past, including periods where he flirted with the far right. 
He's a complicated character, and this is the best profile I've read on him so far. You can find the full 10-minute piece in Friday's FT Weekend. My last story choice today is a really interesting piece by Sarah Haggy in Time magazine about cancel culture, and it brings some much-needed nuance to the discussion. First, let's explain cancel culture. It's a term that describes the out-of-control internet mob that hurries to cancel people who have said or done something that other people find problematic. Various members of the media have decided that this cancel culture has gone too far, and Haggy notes that these people also claim that once you are cancelled, you are silenced, kicked off the internet, never to be heard from again. People who condemn cancel culture say that it is unfair and indiscriminate, but Haggy says the problem with that perspective is that cancel culture doesn't exist in the way those people think it does. She says the phrase has turned into a catch-all for when people in power face consequences for their actions or receive any type of criticism, something that they're not used to. Writing as a black Muslim woman, Haggy has noticed that racist, sexist and bigoted behaviour or remarks don't fly like they used to, and people whose privilege has historically shielded them from censure are finding that that's no longer the case. The thing that's changed, she says, is that powerful men are being held accountable, but even the likes of Harvey Weinstein have shown their faces at industry events recently. Nobody has been silenced forever, and Haggy says the whole conversation is oversimplified to the extent that we lose all perspective over what we should be paying attention to, the people who have suffered real harm from toxic workplaces, or who walk around feeling perpetually unsafe thanks to past trauma. We need to be able to take a more nuanced approach which addresses the specific harms people have caused and holds them accountable in a way that reflects that. And writing off the whole concept of internet criticism as having gone too far leaves marginalised voices once again at risk. For more insights, you can find the full five-minute piece in this week's Time magazine. Thanks for joining me for this week's Top Stories. Check out the show notes for the links to the articles. And if you want to read more, you can go to blendle.com and subscribe to the Daily Digest newsletter, which we send out at 8am Eastern. If you want to get in touch with your thoughts on the show, you can email me at editorial at blendle.com and you can follow us on Twitter at Blendle. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next week. Bye.